So it's presently ordinary time. And we have been doing, uh, we've been working through sermons in Luke uh, recently, uh, throughout this ordinary season. We've talked about the powers of evil. We've talked about the power of Jesus. We've talked about what it means to be a disciple. Uh, we've looked at Mary and Martha. We've looked at the role of prayer. And next week, we're going to be beginning a four-week series working through uh, some of the final chapters of Hebrews. Uh, our Anglican liturgy, our Sunday assignments, will be taking us through Hebrews uh, for the next four weeks. Uh, specifically, we'll be looking at the role of faith in the believer's life. We'll be looking uh, at what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. So I invite you to come back uh, for those uh, Hebrews sermons. But today we're still in, in Luke. And as you've probably gathered from uh, the songs that we sang, as you probably gathered uh, from the scripture readings, we have the lovely topic of greed to talk about today. Doesn't everyone love gathering together to chat about greed for a while? It's just a good, like, hearty, fun, exciting thing to talk about. But that uh, is what our lectionary has for us this morning. We want it. We needs it. We must have the precious. I want an Oompa Loompa, and I want one now. Now, I'm the king of the swingers, see, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top, I've had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. <laughs> so why is it that the key trait of some of our favorite villains is always greed? That's, that always seems to be a component of it, and the ones that I chose were kind of fun ones, but we could talk about plenty of other villains as well for the rest of the, of the morning. There's a book that we like to read uh, at our house called The Minosaur. The Minosaur. This is a wonderful book uh, for both children and adults to read. And it talks about this child dinosaur who's the new kid in class, and he's constantly taking things that belongs to all of the other classmates, yelling out, mine, mine, mine. At least that's how I read it when I read it to my kids. It's a great story. Greed is familiar to us all, isn't it? Whether you're an infant dinosaur taking blocks in the corner of the playground, or whether you're a 700-year-old dragon sitting in the belly of a mountain, sitting on a pile of dwarvish gold, greed is familiar to us all. And I think we love having greedy villains in our stories because they kind of act out what we in our hearts want to do. We want all the blocks. We want all the gold. We want that ring of power, right? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, perhaps it's unfair to put this man next to truly sinister villains uh, like Smog the Dragon or Cruella de Vil. And, and certainly what he's saying, teacher, please tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, that actually was, was a culturally acceptable thing to go and to talk about with rabbis. I know that sounds weird. I don't want to hear your property disputes. Don't come to me about that stuff. But back in first century Judaism, that was a common thing to talk about. Because remember, the right to land is what it meant to be Jewish, right? Like the promised land, like that is what they love. That is what God has called them to be faithful stewards of, was their promised land. And so when there was a dispute you would go to the religious leaders to ask them to hash it out for you. How can we do this in a way that would be uh, faithful to Yahweh? Now also, this man is probably in a very tricky situation as, as far as his family goes. 
So it's, it's probably safe to assume, and I realize this might be a stretch, but I, I think it's safe to assume that his brother is with him. So if he says, teacher, tell my brother, I'm, I'm making the assumption that his brother is with him, poor brother that he is, that he got dragged into this, right? And the occasion that would have brought this situation upon them would have been the death of their father. He left the land to his boys. He wants his boys to take care of the land, uh, to see that it stays in the family. And no doubt, this man who comes is the younger brother. He wants to break up dad's land. But he doesn't inherently have anything to himself to leverage in his favor, except for just mere fairness, right? Like, you should have half, and I should have half, or I should have a little bit. So anyway, that's probably some of the family situation. So he drags his brother to Jesus, a famous teacher. Not just any teacher, keep in mind. This is a teacher who has a reputation of caring for the downtrodden, for caring for those who don't typically have a voice for themselves. So surely this man, this man who's turning the world upside down, he'll take my side on this, because I'm the little guy, I'm the younger brother. Tell him to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus always sees the heart of the situation. What appears to be a normal, rational request, at least to ancient Middle Eastern eyes, to Jesus, Jesus sees this as a grave danger. It is not man, or it is not God, who this man is seeking to worship, but rather his own possessions, his own agenda. That's who he's looking after. You see, for this man who dragged his brother to Jesus, Jesus is merely a stepping stone. Jesus is a way in which this man gets validation for what he wants inside of him. And Jesus will not be manipulated like that. So I wonder, how are you, how am I, like the man in this story? And keep in mind here, let me be clear, because I, I, I have last week's sermon echoing in my mind, this isn't a parable on prayer that we have right now. <laughs> uh, this isn't an example of petitionary prayer. Last week we looked at what it looks like to keep knocking on God's door. That's not what this man is doing, no. He's, he's not coming asking for bread on behalf of, of a guest, No, this is a man who's selfishly seeking to keep and expand his own kingdom. He's being selfish here. So how do you do this? How do I do this? How do we try to force God's hand uh, in our prayer life? Maybe we leverage our victimhood, right? Jesus, my dad just died. My brother's a big fat jerk. Therefore, you must do something about this. Or maybe we leverage who Jesus is. We leverage his title. Jesus, this is totally what you do. Why won't you do this right now? Do this for me right now. Or sometimes we claim that we deserve it. Jesus, I'm one of your faithful people. Don't you owe this to me? Like, I've been coming here for a long time now, Jesus. Tell him to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus will not be manipulated. In fact, what Jesus says is, watch out. Be on guard against covetousness. Now, that word covetousness, not only is it a tongue twister for me, uh, but it's also a tricky word to translate. It can mean a lot of of different things. Uh, It implies an overreaching or a grasping of things. Or in some situations, it's even used to describe a gift that you give to someone, but you didn't really want to give it to them. You know, like you kind of want to give it back, or you want it back. It's used of extortion, 
Essentially, what this word is getting at is that never-ending appetite that just keeps nibbling away inside of us. Or, as we like to say in a word, greed. Greed. Jesus says, beware. And I'm reminded of Peter's description of, of Satan. Satan who prowls around like a lion, seeking after someone to devour. Keep your eyes open, Jesus says. Stay alert. Be on guard against this. Because here's the deal. Life isn't about this, is what Jesus tells us. One's life does not consist of stuff. Rubbish is what Paul calls all of this. And keep in mind, Jesus isn't talking about like the day-to-day sort of nitty-gritty parts of our life. The word that he uses here, it's a fun word. It's a word that I'm sure a bunch of you have heard before, but Zoe. So this is life as in like, like the full essentials of life, the meaning of life, the significance of life, the actual es- essence of life itself. It's not supposed to be about stuff. It's not supposed to be about stuff. Life isn't supposed to be about who's going to get dad's land or who's going to get dad's grandfather clock that's been standing in his office for years and years that's so stinking cool. It would look awesome in my living room. It's not about that cool hat that dad always wore all the time or his really cool pipe collection, even though pipes are bad and whatever, but the pipe collection's really cool. It's not about who gets dad's stuff. I'm not making that stuff up, if you, if you can't tell. <laughs> it's not about that, Jesus says. Well, Jesus also says he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus is in the business of rescuing us from sin. And so in order to break us out of the prison of greed, he tells us a story. He shines some light on the situation. So there's this rich guy. He's hashtag blessed. He gets lots of crops. He gets a lot of them. He doesn't know what to do with them. He starts talking to himself, which is kind of weird. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns. That's, that's it. I'm going to do that. Now, we, you know, we're good Americans. We're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Build a bigger barn. That's great. But according to Jesus, that's not great. <laughs> that's a problem. But also notice what's not a problem in this passage. Before we get to the problem, let's look at what's not the problem. The problem is not that he actually has an abundance. Jesus isn't judging rich people in this passage. There's there's other passages we can go to that make us really squirmish. They're not super fun to preach. They're there. I don't want to deny that. They'll come up in the lectionary at another point. We'll preach those. But that's not what this passage is. This man isn't in trouble simply for having a bumper crop. He has actually obtained this rather justly, rather smartly, we could say. He didn't exploit the poor. He didn't steal it. There's no trickery that's going on here. In fact, he did a wise job, right? Like he took care of his land. He took care of his resources. And he made sure that when the rain comes, it would be able to produce. And holy smokes, like he got it right. Like it did produce. It produced a lot when those rains came. The problem isn't the abundance. No, the problem is the mindset of me. Me. (laughs) Isn't there like a Jim Gaffigan skit about me, me, me? That just kept going through my mind this week. Anyway, some of you are like, I don't know who that is. Ignore me. (laughs) So the problem is the mindset of me. So look at verse 17. Like this is actually kind of comical if you look, if you 
pay attention here. Look at, look at what he says when he notices all of the abundance that he has going on in his field. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There's just a hailstorm of mys and eyes and me's in this. He even starts talking to his own soul. Okay. Like this guy is really, really focused on himself. Me, me, me. The church fathers have this wonderful Latin phrase for this. Let's make sure I say this correctly. Incurvatus inse. Incurvatus inse. And you can, it, one of my professors, when he would talk about this, he'd go up to the board and he'd get, it, he'd get a piece of chalk and he would draw this circle that just starts curving in on itself, right? Like that's, that's what this man has become. He's become a navel gazer. Like he's just only focused about me, me, me. He's an expert at what his belly button looks like. My guess is the author of the Minosaur, she probably got her inspiration from this passage. There's no talk of this man's family, no talk of his neighborhood. Were you going to say that? Is that what you said? Oh, okay. She's disagreeing with the author's inspiration. Okay, that's fine. But he's, I, th- I thought you were being very appreciative of your family and saying, why isn't he talking about his family here? So he's, he's not talking about his family. He's not talking about his neighborhood. He's not talking about the temple. He's not talking about that local church plant that's not even two years old and still trying, trying to become self-sustaining. Like, he's not talking about any of that. Do you remember the poor widow, the parable of the poor widow who loses her coin? And she finds it. Like, what does she do when she finds it? She throws a huge party. She invites all of her friends. She's like, guess what? I found it. Or the story of that gover- government worker, Zacchaeus. He meets Jesus. Now, he, he obtained his wealth through unjust ways. He knows that. And when he got convicted by Jesus and his lifestyle and he looked at his abundance, what did he do? He threw a party as well. Like these parties of celebration about what the Lord has done in their lives. This guy throws a party though, right? Like he throws a party. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But who's he talking to? It's a party of one. He's just talking to himself. Like that's not a fun party. He is not celebrating what God has done. Do you see the difference in this? Like the first set of parties, like those are, God is the initiator of those parties. Like it's gratitude that is the conversation at those parties. At this party, it's not. At this party, my guess is what he's talking about is, I got to live it up now because I don't know how long this is going to last. I think I've got a few years. After that, it's back on to the same old sludge. So let's party it up now. Let's live it up right now. He has this scarcity mindset that's motivating his partying, right? Are you thinking of maybe some own behaviors or friends or whatever? You know, that's, maybe that's what motivates some of our partying sometime. I don't know. So our man today, he is in a me mindset. And God doesn't hold back, does he? God shows up, fool, is what he says. Fool. Now don't be... Don't take that word lightly. In the Old Testament, when that word is used, fool, that means something very, very specific. This is someone who, in light of God's blessing and abundance, acts as if God is not real, acts as if God is not present. 
The fool says in his heart, says the psalmist in a couple spots, there is no God. So this is, a, this is someone who experiences provision, community, goodness, but refuses to see God as the grand orchestrator of it all. They might be included in God's community, but they don't act like it. I gave you a tremendous gift, and you act as if I'm not even here. Fool. If a man knew God, he would know that constant refrain of God that we hear throughout the Old Testament. I will bless you so that what? You may be a blessing to others. A blessing to others. <laughs> I love what the Lord says here. You're, you're not going to take this stuff with you. You don't even have any friends and family to leave it to. <laughs> like, what, what are you going to do with all of this? Whose will this be, God says to him. So we have a man who receives an abundance of crops, and rather than using it to bless those in his circle of influence, to bless his community, to bless his local church plant, he's a fool. <laughs> so God, Jesus tells us a couple times to guard against this, to stay on watch. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm sure you could come up with a couple things. I've got a couple things that I'd like to share with you. And these aren't rocket science. These aren't huge mysteries. They're plain in the Bible. If you're seeping the scriptures, these will just naturally come to mind, I'm sure. And so I'm going to say just four, three or four, and I want you to pick one. And maybe there's one task within this one thing that you could potentially try out this week. You know, I, I don't usually like to give homework, but try this out. Try this out. So one of them is just simply to practice gratitude. Right? Practice gratitude. Now, as I was writing that and preparing this, I actually came under some, some conviction about this myself. Uh, because if you've been here for a while, you know that I, I kind of um, don't appreciate this space that we're in. You know, like I want some air conditioning, right? That sportsmanship code, like it's, it's funny, I guess. <laughs> I really would love to have a cross up there, you know? And so that'll, that'll pop up. And we, and we laugh now, like, you know, but the, the fact of the matter is the Lord provided this space to us. And this space is awesome. And we, they have a great staff. Like, I love working with, with Max, if you can hear me back there. And then also Maggie, who's the director of this place. And they love working with us. We love working with them. They actually invited us to partner with them in a lot of the park events, which is huge. Like, I know church planters who've received a phone call from the principal or whoever from the school or wherever that they're, they're renting from, and it says, you know what, I'm not feeling it anymore. You need to find a, a new place next week. And, like, Maggie has said things to us like, I feel like the whole park is, is blessed because of your presence here. And so, I'm, like, I don't, I don't want to take this place for granted. You know, I don't want to mock that, you know, I'll try really hard, you know, and I don't want to do that. And one way that we as a community can show our gratitude for the park district and their amazing hospitality to us, and also, like, we're getting a really good deal on this place, like, one way that we can show our gratitude for that is to help out with the Monarch Festival, okay? So this is, like, a real tangible thing. We need eight people to help out at the Monarch Festival. There's a sign-up in the back. Um, it's, it's just manning uh, a bike corral, 
It'd be really fun. We'll hang out with each other. We'll, we'll chat. We'll go get some good tacos at the Monarch Festival. Like, it's a lot of fun. Um, but that's one way that we can show our gratitude um, here for the community center. And it doesn't have to be that. Maybe there's something else that the Lord has placed on your heart this morning. Maybe some uh, thing uh, that you're thankful for that you just need to share with the Lord or some person who you're thankful for to, to express that to them. The next thing is to practice generosity. Again, we're not talking rocket science here. Now, this church wouldn't actually exist if it wasn't for the generosity of people who've actually never been in these walls before. We have received thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get this thing up and running. Like, it takes three years for a church to become fully self-sustaining. We're on track to that, praise the Lord, but in the meantime, other people have stepped up and shown generosity, and I hope that inspires us, right? And not just in, in giving away actual cash, but stuff, like things. Like, what would it look like to give away something that you actually really like, uh, something that you own? I had a professor in college who did this all the time. In fact, it kind of became a joke. His name's Jerry Root. Some of you may have had Jerry. And uh, if you complimented Jerry on his hat or his watch or something like this, or one time what I did is I complimented him on a book in his bookshelf, oh yeah, you should take that. Jerry, I, I, I can't take your book. Like, this looks really old. It looks really cool. He's like, no, no, no. I haven't looked at it for a little while. You can totally have it. I was terrified. I did not want to touch it. But I've seen him take his hat off and put it on another student's head and say, this is yours. And in some cultures, that's normal. Like, that's just part of what it means to be a good, abiding member of your community, a good friend, right? So maybe you can give away something that you'll miss. Thirdly, get away. Get away with God. Get away with God. Take a prayer retreat. Not a vacation, a prayer retreat, like maybe one or two days. Bring a Bible, bring a book of common prayer, bring a journal, bring anything by Henry Nouwen, maybe uh, uh, the prodigal son book, that'd be a good one to bring on a prayer retreat. And what you could do is, with your book of common prayer, you could start with morning prayer, do that, and then maybe like journal or read for a little bit, do the noonday prayer service, go out on a hike or a walk with the Lord, do the evening service, have dinner, and then close the day with the service of Compline. Like it's all there in the book. It's really easy. The prayer service is just easy to, or you, could, you could do a prayer retreat right out of that. It's a pretty good recipe. You see, finding time to get away from the normal rat race of life gives you a chance to refocus on the Lord, to see what it is that the Lord was talking about when he said, life is not about things. This gives you a chance to reorient your heart. So my fourth thing is to be passionate about the gospel. You see, we as Americans, we need this story. We need this parable today. This isn't just for, you know, dude who lived 2,000 years ago who's trying to get something out of Jesus. This is something that pierces all of us. This is the water that we swim in, right? This is the American story. We love to build bigger barns. So what would it look like for us as a community who's transformed by the gospel to live prophetically in our neighborhoods, right? Not in like a judgy sort of holier-than-thou sort of way, like, oh yeah, I totally hate stuff. 
No, but in a way that is completely free. Free to give. Free to celebrate. Free to talk about the things that the Lord has done in your life. That's free to talk about the the power of the gospel in your life. So I'll close with this. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I came to give life abundantly. Abundantly. So like I said, we'll be preaching through Hebrews. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the abundant life for four weeks. It's going to be great. On one of those weeks, we're going to do baptisms down there in the lake. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about what it means to be a faithful member of God's community, his kingdom, what that abundant life looks like. Because life is more than just building bigger barns. It's about finding abundant life in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord, for coming and being love to us. Lord, you speak to us in both truth and in grace. Open our hearts, Lord, that we might receive it. Convict us where we need it, Lord. Help us to know that life isn't about stuff. It's not about the bigger barns, the grandfather clock, the cool hat. Uh, None of that, Lord. But it's about you and the grace that you have showed us. Lord, help us to be a community that is transformed by that grace. In your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.